0: mean, We praise the Lord for his word this morning, the great psalm of, uh, of David. Man, let us go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you first this morning for this, uh, this Lord's Day. Lord, we come to you this morning uh, in our time of pastoral prayer to uh, seek you for wisdom, to seek you for uh, guidance. Father, we look and turn to you this morning to uh, hear my prayer according to uh, Christ and his finished work on the cross. For it is only through Christ that my prayers are accepted unto you this morning. Lord, your word tells us as believers to, to be wise. Your word tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of. Of wisdom, Lord, your word tells us that wisdom is the way. Your wisdom is the way we ought to live and govern our lives. Your word teaches us about the value of wisdom. Lord, your word tells us that when wisdom enters our heart and knowledge is pleasant to our soul, that discretion will. Preserve us. Their understanding will keep us, to deliver us from the way of evil, from the person who speaks perverse things, from those who lead the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. It will lead us away from those who rejoice in doing evil and delight in doing wickedness. It will lead us away from those whose ways are crooked. And who are devious in their paths. Lord, wisdom will deliver us from the immoral woman or immoral man. From the seductress who flatters with her words. Who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. It will keep us away from relationships that will lead us to destruction and down the road of destruction. Lord, your wisdom will instead lead us to the ways of goodness, to the ways of godliness, to the ways of holiness, to the ways of righteousness, to the ways of peace. Lord, your word tells us that through wisdom, the upright will dwell in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. So, Father, this morning we... I pray for us. I pray for our church family. I pray for our visitors here that you help us, Father, by your Spirit, to be wise according to your word and not according to the ways of the world. Be wise according to what your word prescribes for us and how we are to live and govern our lives. To be wise in abstaining from evil and doing what is good because Lord your word tells us that the wicked will be cut off and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it, from the earth Lord as believers as we read earlier this morning in Ephesians 5 we should not be accompanied to those who do evil We, we, we shouldn't even speak of the despicable things that they do in private Lord, help us with your wisdom to walk as children of the light and not as those who are in darkness. Lord, help us as believers to see that our lives should be distinct, not just in external uh, wear, but in our conversation, in, in, our, in our speech, in our, in our thoughts, in our deeds, that our life should be so diametrically opposed to the lives of those who who hate you. But, Lord, that work begins in our heart. It doesn't begin with uh, obeying uh, external things. Lord, that work begins in our hearts. So, Lord, as we pray for your wisdom this morning, we pray, Father, that we always look to you, always look to your word for wisdom. Lord we look in your word we'll see in first Corinthians where Paul told the Corinthians in the second chapter that the the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God the philosophies the world view of this world Lord is is foolish it is empty wisdom it is empty knowledge uh, they don't have a bearing on our eternal life with you they don't have eternal value there The, the wisdom of this world is temporary it is Transitory. It is here today and it is gone tomorrow. It is not lasting. It is fleeting. It is is very trendy. But Lord, your wisdom and your truth is not trendy. Your word endures forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, Father, but your words will not pass away. That is why, Father, we are to seek your wisdom. What saith the Scriptures? What saith the word of God concerning any issue? Father, your word is the source of all wisdom for Christians. It is a source of wisdom for the whole world, but Father, the world lies out of the sway of the evil one and rejects your word. But Lord, uh, 1 John 5 tells us that we are of God. And if Lord we are of you, then we are of your word. We are of the wisdom that comes from your word. Help us to be wise and to be discerning concerning your word and concerning what your will is for us in this world. Lord, we pray that your wisdom may extend to 1600 uh, Pennsylvania Avenue with our president who is determined with every evil bone in his body to assault the unborn child. To suggest that Road versus Wade be codified into law. Lord, that is evil and that is wicked and that is demonic. That our president is advocating for the murder of unborn children. That he's advocating for Congress to pass a law to make abortion the law of the land through legislation. Lord, we pray for repentance for our president, for his vice president, for the whole cabinet, for everyone in Washington, D.C., all of our lawmakers on both sides of the aisle who do not hold to the sanctity of human life from conception. That is a curse on our great nation that we have slaughtered over 60 million babies since 1973. Lord, that is a scourge upon your name. Lord, may you bring repentance to all of our legislators across all state houses throughout this great union, all governors, all legislators throughout the states that abortion has been turned over to. Lord, that you may bring them to repentance and see the unborn as persons which they are. They're not just a clump of cells. They're not just embryos or fetuses. They are actual people, image bearers of God, growing inside of the uterus of a woman, not a trans woman, not a man who can get pregnant, but a woman. Father, we pray for repentance from all of our leaders. We pray, Lord, that you... Send those who are close to them, who know the gospel, who know that it is evil, that you may give them the boldness to proclaim the gospel to them and that, Lord, hearts may change because, Father, the the only way that people will change, the only way that women will change from wanting to kill their babies to have a heart change. And that heart change comes through the transformative work of the gospel. It is only the gospel that will give women a worldview, a biblical worldview of the child that they're carrying that regardless of how the child was conceived, regardless of the circumstances, that that child bears the image of God. And that child's life has value no matter how it was conceived. Because Lord, the secular world, those who deny you as creator, they, they say that that, that, that child, that the value of that child depends on how the child was conceived or what type of disorder that the child may be born with. They place value on the baby based on that. But, Father, your word tells us that all of us are made in your image. Help us of all as Christians to see this truth and to proclaim it without shame, without fear of reproach and insult, because, Father, this is your truth, Embolden your church to do the work to continue to care for mothers who don't know what to do when they are pregnant throughout crisis pregnancy centers that our church support and other churches around here and throughout this nation we pray Lord for those ministries they are under attack also here uh, hope women's services that that we support another church support father that you may uh, protect Ms. Pam Hughes and all the ladies who who helped there and all the women's crisis pregnancy centers throughout this nation, that you may protect them from attack, and that they may be emboldened to continue to do their work in taking care of pregnant mothers. Father, we pray for our sister churches, all of us. We do support Hope Women's Services, and we advocate for the unborn. I pray, Father, that you continue to strengthen and fortify our brethren at our sister churches to continue to proclaim your truth unashamedly Anderson Bible, Grace Fellowship, Christian Fellowship, Redeemer Church, Mountain View Church, First Baptist, Lionville, Iron City Baptist, Lord, we pray for all of us brethren that you strengthen us to continue to lead our churches, to continue to proclaim the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And, Father, now we come now to your word as we continue to look at the parables of our Lord in the Gospel of Matthew. We pray, Father, that you send the Spirit to illuminate this truth today as we're going to see what this parable means when it comes to hearing the Word of God. That fruit may be born from this message. That you fear me with your Spirit, Father, to preach this text well this morning. And Lord, that we may all obey and respond to this gospel message. That our hearts are not hardened, but that our hearts receive the word of God this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. For our business, we're in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew. We started last week a new sermon series on the parables of the kingdom, the parables of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. And we started last week with the explanation of parables from Matthew thirteen verses ten through seventeen, looking at the purpose of parables. Why did Jesus teach in parables and he gave the explanation, and we're going to go over that again this morning as we work through this parable of the sword part one. We'll look at the uh, what Jesus does here is he gives the parable, and these then he gives an explanation of why. He teaches them parables and then he gives the explanation of the parable. So next week we will look at the explanation of the parable of the sword beginning at verse 18. But this morning we're going to look at the parable itself and why parables. And this is the first of uh, 13 parables that we find in the Gospel of Matthew. So we're going to begin at the first verse. Matthew 13 we're going to read down to uh, verse 17 and then uh, exegete the passage so Matthew 13 beginning at verse 1 this is the word of the Lord it says on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea and great multitudes were gathered together to him So that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, and this is the beginning of the parable, Behold, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on the stony places when they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depths of earth. But when the sun was up, they scorched. I'm oh, sorry, yeah, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they began to wither away. And some fell among the thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop. Psalm hundredfold, Psalm 60, Psalm 30. He... Whether I speak, therefore rather, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have become dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and do not see it and to hear what you hear and do not hear it. The parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew are called the parables of the kingdom because they have both the present and future kingdom rule of Jesus in mind. That's why they're called the parables of the kingdom. And there are two types of soil in this parable, only two types. Okay? though four are listed. There are only two types. The unfruitful soil and the fruitful soil. The first three soils that the seeds were planted on were unfruitful, but only one was fruitful. So there are only two types of soil. But the unfruitful soil happens in degrees. And so just as an explanation of this parable here, there are four main, uh, if you want to say, characters, if you will, in this parable. Number one, the sower in this parable. In this parable, the sower is Jesus. And by extension, the gospel evangelist, the, the preacher of the word of God. So the sower is, is Jesus or the gospel preacher. The seed in this parable is the gospel message or the word of God. The birds are Satan himself. The birds are Satan Okay, Because in Luke 8 and 12, in Luke's version of this parable, Luke says in uh, Luke 8 and 12, those by the wayside are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes him. So in, in, in this passage, the birds are Satan. And the soil in this parable is the heart of man. So you have Jesus or the gospel preacher as the sower, the one who is casting the seed, which is the word of God or the gospel message and the birds are the devil or Satan and the soil, the fruitful or unfruitful soil is the heart of man. Now, one thing to note is that the sower is not responsible for where the seed lands. He's not responsible. Nor is he responsible for the planting and growing of the seed. It is just the job of the sower to just cast the seed, just to sow it out. Just to throw it out there. And they don't do it uh, sporadically. There's a certain pattern that uh, sowers use when they sow the seed. But the sower is not responsible for where the seed lands. He's not responsible for the planting and growing of the seed. That is the work of the Holy Spirit who does it. The One of the Uh, roles of the Holy Spirit is to apply the word of God to the hearts of people. That is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is he applies biblical truth. He applies the word of God to the hearts of man. Now, this parable, when you read the whole thing, it really has no conclusion, but it has an interpretative ending. It is, the only, it is only one of two parables that Jesus gives an explanation for. This one and the parable of the weeds, which we will see uh, later on. But the other parables he doesn't give an explanation for. But this is one of two that he does. Another thing to note as observation is that the disciples are only able to hear the parable and the other parables because it has been given to them by the grace of God. That's why he said that in verse 11. Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It was given to them. It was not something that they knew by virtue of being a disciple. The ability to understand comes from the sovereign God. Charles Spurgeon once said, famously as I said last week, he said, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. And such is the case with the seed. It will either land on the hardened ground, the rocky ground, the thorny ground, or the good soft ground. There's only one response to the gospel. Only one response. There are not, not many responses to the gospel. Either when the person hears the gospel, either they're going to receive the gospel message unto faith, unto salvation, or they're going to reject it. There's no third or fourth or fifth or sixth way. There's only one response. And the one response you make is either going to be receiving it or rejecting it. There are no two responses. So the Spirit said, The same son that melts wax hardens clay. The gospel, once it's heard, will either harden a person in their sins and their rejection of that gospel, or it will melt their hearts to repentance. It only has one effect. So the big idea is that in the parable of the sower, careful stewardship must be taken with what is sown. The condition of the soil determines the fruitfulness of the seed. An understanding of parables must be sovereignly given by God. so those are going to be our principles so the first principle is careful stewardship must be taken when the word of God is sown whenever you hear the word of God preached so as believers we cannot escape the gospel message it is everywhere the message of the gospel is everywhere anytime the word is read or anytime the word is heard Regardless of the setting, it is being sown. You don't have to be in a church or a church setting to hear the gospel preached. You can listen on the radio. You can be in it with a conversation with someone and you're talking about the Bible, talking about the gospel. Anytime the word of God is read or heard, regardless of the setting, it is being sown. Anytime. The responsibility of the sower is just to sow. And that is his diligent duty. So as a result, the gospel is sown all over the world. Think about all the media we have now. You know, back in the uh, old days of maybe 20 years ago, (laughs) you know, you just had television and radio. Now you have podcasts, you have social media, you have a million television channels streaming services all over the place. There are so many ways to hear the word of God being proclaimed. The Internet, of course. God is actively sowing his gospel message until the ends of the earth by the means of faithful gospel preachers. Every Lord's Day, preachers are proclaiming the gospel around the world. And the reason why this is important is because God is a communicating God. We learned this in the book of Esther, that, that God is always doing. There's not a time where God is, is idle. God is a God who communicates. He is always speaking. There's never a time when God is not speaking. God speaks and he commands. He even speaks to men's consciousness. You know, you hear people, some say, well, what about someone way out in the, amazon or the, the jungles of on the continent of africa or, or some place in eastern europe where there where there are no church what, what about those people guess what they hear the gospel too you know how that's true you had to turn to romans one paul says this when he talks about the wrath of god he says here romans 1 and 18 he says for the wrath of god is revealed against from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his God invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Man is without excuse. God has, has, has sovereignly presented evidence of himself in creation. So even a person who never has had his hands on the Bible, who has never heard the gospel proclaimed, can still see The gospel when they see the works of God in creation. Every person knows that God exists. Every person does. It takes a lot of mental fortitude to to reject that God exists, as the secularists do. It's present, Paul tells us here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Things that are made, even its eternal power. Even the things that we don't see, like air. (laughs) We don't see air, but we know it exists, right? Even God's invisible attributes that we don't see, we know that God exists. So man is without excuses, Paul said. So, everyone, God is always communicating his presence to creation. He is always communicating his existence to creation. Every single person knows that God exists, he's constantly speaking through creation. But Paul said that they became fools. Why? Because they rejected this God that they know exists. They exchange the glory of the incorruptible God into an image like corruptible things. And God gave them up to uncleanness and lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchange the truth of God for the lie. What is the lie? That God doesn't exist. What is the lie? That there is no God. That there is no creator. That there is no sovereign creator of this world. There's no transcendent authority over everyone and everything. And they worship and serve the creature or created things rather than the creator who is best forever. So these people know that God exists. So looking back at this parable, looking at this principle here, the word of God is being sown always. God is always speaking and he is always communicating, even to men's consciousness. So, now that we know that the seed is sown, what do we do with it? The sower scatters the seed on the ground for future growth. And do all seeds grow? The answer is no. Which leads to our second principle here. The condition of the soil determines the fruitfulness of the seed. It is not the sower, again, or the seed who determines the fruitfulness, but the condition of the soil, or the ground, or the heart that does. It is through the effective work of the Holy Spirit that the soil is conditioned to be fruitful. It is through the effective work of the Holy Spirit. And the thing about this parable, why is this parable the first one? Because understanding the parable of the sower leads to understanding of all the other parables. Understanding this parable and how the word works and how the word is sown will lead to understanding of the other parables. And this is another thing. Only those willing to listen faithfully will get the message of the parable. Anytime you hear the word preached, we should say in our hearts, Lord, help me to understand this faithfully. It's like I said last week, don't assume. Each time you read the word. Father, help me to understand this text. So. We have, uh, remember we have two types of soil. Jesus talks about first the wayside. And he says here that the first seed landed on the wayside or fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them the wayside was like the path it was the hardened ground from which the sower wow, so fell like in the troughs basically it was hardened ground so seed can't penetrate that ground and birds would come in and just pick those seeds up and take them off. So the wayside path was the, the ground that was trotted upon that was that was hardened by being walked on. Remember they didn't have all these fancy tractors and stuff like we do now. Okay? And they didn't have that. So the seed would fall on the wayside in the troughs where the ground was hard and birds would swing along and pick them up. It would be nice to see a plant growing inside the belly of a bird, right? (laughs) But uh, but that's what they would do. They would come just pick them up, take them off. Okay? They devoured the seed. And then Jesus said in verse 5, Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, and they were scorched. I'm sorry, when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. The stony places was the shallow dirt. You know, it's like where I live in Golden Springs. I mean, you dig about eight, nine inches deep, you hitting bedrock. <laughs> you know, you don't even go a foot deep until, I'm like, man, what did they do to this neighbor? Did they blast it out of a mountain or something? I mean, it's it is about eight nine inches deep down in Golden Springs. You're gonna hit bedrock. It's hard to plant a lot of stuff there because the, the roots don't have the, the roots don't go that deep. That's why we have a lot of oak trees in our neighborhood because oak trees have a very shallow root system. They can't go that deep because of the type of rock that our neighborhood was built uh, built on. Pretty much, I guess, all of Golden Springs. We have tons of oak trees and pine trees, and they don't have very deep root systems but we don't have that much depth of earth guess what the roots are not able to grow down into the ground and get the nutrients from the soil they don't have much earth that's what it means and what does the seed do it immediately springs up because it can't go down there's no depth and the sun came up and scorched the plant because it had a shallow system and so what did the seed end up doing end up withering away Dying off. And then in verse 7, some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. The thorns are like the flower bed in my front yard. You can dig up all the topsoil and all the dirt and start from scratch, and weeds are still going to find their way. <laughs> you can pay thousands of dollars to get, get you know, get somebody to come in with a bobcat and dig up all the, dig up everything. Pat it down, start from scratch. You know, put the topsoil down and all that stuff and layer it however you want to. Bing! You'll see those weeds start popping up. You can put that little barrier, you know, the little plastic barrier down that you go buy from Lowe's and all that stuff and... Guess what? Those weeds are still gonna come up, and after a, a long time, what do those weeds do? They they choke the life. You know, I used to think growing up, you know, our front yard was full of dandelions. I had no idea that dan- dandelions were weed. That the, dandelion is a type of weed. Our front yard, no wonder, like every time we cut, it was dust coming up <laughs> because the dandelion was killing all the all the grass. We didn't we didn't know. As a kid, that dandelion uh, was a, a weed. Did y'all know that? And what they do, they, they kill the grass. They, they, they choke the life out of the grass, and all you got is a front yard full of dandelions, like pockmarked, just little spots here and there. You know, so that, that, that's what weeds do. They, they choke the life out of a shoot that's coming up out of the ground. They automatically grow around it, uh, deprives it of sunlight, photosynthesis, deprives it of the nutrients that it gets, and then the next thing you know, it does what? It dies just like that. That's what those thorns do. And then lastly he says here verse eight, but others fell on good ground and yield a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now if you've been around some circles long enough you will hear prosperity preachers talk about God blessing you a hundredfold a hundredfold blessing on you or you know that's not what that means It's talking about the fruitfulness of the word we'll look at that in the explanation next week we don't want to get ahead of ourselves so principle three so jesus gives the parable so the next principle is that the understanding of the parables must be sovereignly given by god so what does jesus say he who has ears to hear let him hear okay and God in revelation the letters to the seven churches in all seven letters the Lord said through the apostle John he who has ears to hear let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches so it's kind of the same thing here so Jesus says he who has ears, let him hear. Well, all of us have ears. Like, why would he say that? First of all, that is repeated several times by Christ in the Gospels. Matthew 11 and 15, he says it. Matthew 13 and 43, he says it. And of course, I told y'all in uh, the Revelation. Uh, He says it to all seven of the churches. It is comforting to teachers and preachers to observe that even Jesus had to exhort people to listen and understand his sayings, especially in the parable. That's what uh, the theologian A.T. Robertson said. He says, it's comforting that even Jesus told his listeners to do what? To hear. Just as we get up and preach, we're exhorting our members and those who hear us. To hear what the Lord is saying to his church through his word and that's why you preach the word of God and don't preach anything else so it's a comfort to know that even Jesus himself commanded those who heard him to hear him we need ears to hear in order to understand the meaning of Jesus' parables because again if this parable is not understood then the other ones would not be understood either so the question is, who gives us ears to hear? Only the sovereign God can. Only the sovereign God can. Now, I talked about this a little bit last week, but this is kind of a recap. I'm going to go over it uh, a little quicker than I did last week because I took a lot, of, a lot of time with it. Um, but the meaning of the parables would be hidden, as Jesus said from those who do not have ears to hear, but it will be revealed to those like the disciples who have been given the mysteries of the kingdom. So the parables were a means of concealing truth from those who rejected Christ as king. That's what they were meant for. That's why he taught them in parables, because it was concealing from those who didn't care to hear in the first place. Those who didn't care to hear what Christ wanted to say And among those were the uh, Pharisees. Again, just like we talked about last week with the context, the context of these parables is uh, this was after the final rejection of Christ by the Pharisees, where they said that he, uh, the Pharisees rather, had committed blasphemy by saying uh, that Jesus, the works that he was doing were attributed to the works of Satan. So they blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. And Jesus basically said, I've had enough of y'all. So this was after his final rejection by the Pharisees that he turned to his disciples and began to teach uh, them and teach the people in parables because they did not want to hear what he had to say. So verses 11 through 13, again, articulate the principle of divine sovereignty. We talked about the two sides of the coin. You have divine sovereignty, and then you have human responsibility. Okay. There's the divine sovereignty of God. The spiritual illumination and understanding. Jesus said here. That whoever has in verse 12. To him what will be given. And he will have abundance. Those who have the understanding of. The kingdom. They will have more understanding. That's what he was saying there. And then he talked about the importance of human responsibility. Well, first said it was given to you back in verse 11 because it has been given to you to know. Given to them by who? God. To know the mysteries of the kingdom. It is only God who can reveal truth to people. And then you have the importance and emphasis on human responsibility responsibility if someone uses the spiritual truth that he has that truth grows and more is added we see that in the first part of verse 12 this whole passage encompasses divine election sovereign grace and human response if you look again at verse 12 you will see for whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance but Whoever does not have, even what he has will be what? Taken away from him. So what exactly is it that is given? That someone will have or receive. It is the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And only God can reveal that to man. That's why as we read, as we share the gospel with others, we pray to God to reveal it's true to them. We can't make people see the truth as much as we want to, but it will frustrate our efforts if we try to do it. It's like Charles Stanley used to say, obey God and lead the consequences to him. In other words, you obey the God, you obey God and you evangelize and you lead the consequences to him. God is the one who reveals that truth to people. So our efforts may be frustrated when we try to share the truth with others. People may mock us or scorn us or look at us like we got horns going out, uh, going out of our heads. Like we have three eyes and four legs. But we still do it and leave it to God to reveal that truth to them. He is the one who does it. Matthew Henry said this. Here's a promise to him that has, that has true grace that has and uses what he has, he shall have more abundance. God's favors are earnest of further favors. Where he lays the foundation, he will build upon it. Christ's disciples used the knowledge they now had, and they had more abundance at the pouring out of the Spirit in Acts 2. Then Matthew Henry says, Here's a threatening... So the promises to those who have and the threatenings to those who have not. So Matthew Henry says, here's a threatening to him that has not, that has no desire of grace, that makes no right use of the gifts and graces that he has. He has no root, no solid principle, that has but uses not what he has. From him shall be taken away that which he has or seems to have. His leaves shall wither His gifts shall decay. The means of grace he has and makes no use of shall be taken from him. God will call in his talents out of their hands that they are likely to become bankrupts quickly. Think about a practical illustration here of of, of that that Matthew Henry said and about what Jesus said. Think about a person who's very gifted, that's very talented. I'm sure all of us know people like that, right? I remember I had students like that. They were very gifted, very talented at different things, very gifted in sports or in art or just very creative and and all those things. But they never used those talents to the Lord's glory. And guess what ends up happening? They lose them. They don't have them anymore. They become a byword. Yeah, I remember I taught that kid in school. He could do this, he could do that, you know, and other. Or you may see a person that you know that you grew up in your hometown with, someone you went to high school with. They have all this talent. They have all these gifts. They have been given to them by God. All gifts that a person has is to use to God's glory, not to the glorification of self. And those people don't use those gifts in the way that God intended It ends up being taken away from them. That's what happens to a person who rejects the gospel. They reject it long enough to where they'll never be able to understand it. And I'm getting ahead of myself here. But the point is the rejection of God as your creator. John MacArthur said this uh, the rejection of God as your creator. Of Christ as your Lord, of his word as authoritative, is spiritual and intellectual suicide. A person falls in grave danger when they do that. So in verses 13 through 15 of this parable, we see the divine judgment by God against those whose hearts are hearted. He says, therefore, I speak to them in parables. Why? Because seeing they do not see. Why? Because they don't want to see. Hearing, they do not hear. Why? Because they don't want to hear. Nor do they understand. Why do they understand? Because they don't want to understand. This is a divine judgment by God against those whose hearts are hearted. And this judgment is a fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah some 700 years before this text. Isaiah said in Isaiah 29 and 10, that God has given them a spirit of stupor. Stupor is like a slothfulness. A laziness about them. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And so Matthew 13, Jesus quotes Isaiah 6 verses 9 through 10. Now, this text. Isaiah six is a reminder to us that God can send his word with a purpose of judgment as well as of salvation. He can do both. It goes back to what I said earlier about, and that's what Charles Spurgeon meant when he said that quote, the same son that milks wax hardens clay. Remember there's only one response to the gospel and God can use his word as a purpose of judgment as well as salvation. The word which opens the hearts of some to receive Christ confirms others in their rebellion, in their rejection, and in their unbelief. Ian Campbell said that the parables become doors by which some enter into the glories of the kingdom while others are shut out from his blessings. If we understand the parables, it is a sign that we are shut in. If we don't, it is a sign that we are shut out. One thing is certain, when Jesus speaks and when the gospel is preached, there is always a response. And I said that earlier, it's always a response to the gospel. Always, every time it's heard, there will be a response. It is either going to be receiving it or rejecting it, but there will be a response. There's no middle way. Like my old folks used to say, you can't straddle the fence. You can't halt between two opinions. (laughs) As the great prophet Elijah told Israel at Mount Carmel in the battle of the gods between the 400 uh, prophets of, 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 of Baal, of King Ahab, and himself. And he told Israel, how long will you halt between two opinions. Either you're going to serve the God of the Baals or you're going to serve the God of your fathers. But he said, choose this day whom you will serve. Why? Because there's only one choice. And the same comes to hearing the gospel word choose whether you're going to hear the gospel or you're going to reject it but there's no middle way there's no gray area in there either a person hears it and receives it or they reject it to their peril to their judgment pray that it's the former not the latter so this prophecy explains the principle of course of accountability for the truth that a person receives R.C. Sproul said this he said the spiritual condition of hardness and blindness is the direct result of refusing to hear and rejecting what was received before their eyes he says God judges the rejection of the truth by hardening us to the truth intellectually we may be astute physically we may be able to hear and see but when we reject the rule of Christ over us and refuse to submit to him with our whole life then the darkness descends. And that's what happens. And you can see the darkness in those people. So there are three things that are to note in this passage. One is the heart. What is the heart? Talk about the heart all the time. The the heart stands for the entire inner man, including our thoughts, our emotions, and our will. So Jesus said that their hearts will become dull. We're looking at verse 15 here. He's talking about Isaiah's prophecy. The heart becomes dull. Dull means to to thicken, like a scab of, 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 of skin. You know, scab is real hard. So when he says their hearts become dull. It means that their hearts have thickened it means to be spiritually calloused you know callous is a hard skin hard parts of your skin calluses don't have any sensitivities in them they don't have any blood vessels attached to them so so if you hit a callous you're not going to feel any pain because there's no sensitivity there So when Jesus is talking about their hearts being dull, he's saying their hearts become insensitive to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. They can hear the preaching about sin. They can hear that they are in sin because they know that they're in sin, but there's no conviction of sin. Why? Because their hearts have become dull, calloused. There's no convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And without the help of the Holy Spirit, We cannot understand spiritual concepts. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. He says that the natural man, the the fleshly man, the, the worldly man, the unregenerate man cannot understand the things of the spirit. Okay. Paul says the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. Nor can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit has to reveal the truth to them. And this is why we depend on the Holy Spirit as we share the gospel. The Holy Spirit, he is the one who opens the hearts to the gospel. Because in our natural sinful state, guess what? Our understanding is darkened. A person can be a great moral person. And that's, i think—that's problem that we, the trap we fall into sometimes. We think just because a person is generally "quote" good, as we would say, although the Bible says there's none who does good, no, not one. Even the person who's very moral, can have a dark heart because their heart may reject Christ. They may say, "I don't need Christ to be a moral person." They may say, "I don't need to be saved. I already do good things. I'm already a good person." Go, go, go and talk to about it. They'll tell you, "I'm am a good person." That means that their hearts have been darkened. They've been self-deceived. They think that it is their works <laughs> that gain them favor with God. It, they, they think it is their, their works that make them righteous with God when it is the work of Christ who does that. It is the work of Christ who reconciles us to God, not our good works. Our good works are nothing. So when we share the gospel with people, we must understand that they are under the influence of Satan. Their will is in bondage. And they will resist and twist the truth of God whenever it confronts them. And this shows the miracle of conversion. Do you all know that salvation is a miracle? It is a miraculous work. It requires supernatural intervention. Just read Ephesians 2. Paul says at the beginning that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were under the wrath of God we were children of wrath but he said but God who is rich in mercy it is God who raised us up you can't raise yourself up as a dead man it takes a supernatural force to do that and the Holy Spirit God raised us from the dead through the person of the Holy Spirit and regenerated us that's a miracle because we can't save ourselves a dead person can't do anything <laughs> I've been to many funerals I went to one of my aunt just a month ago she couldn't get up out of that casket that casket was shaking and rocking when we were putting her into the back of that hearse she wasn't trying to get out no she was dead a spiritually dead person is, is just as powerless they cannot save themselves no one can only God can do it. Through the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus said, not only their heart, he said their ears are hard of hearing. How many parents have said that to their children? <laughs> and They're hard of hearing. Hard-headed. <laughs> are you hard of hearing? Now, when the heart is heavy... No wonder that the ears are dull of hearing. The whispers of the Holy Spirit, they don't hear at all. The loud calls of the word, they don't hear. The word may be near them, but guess what? They don't regard it. They stop their ears. They basically put their hands in the air and say, "I don't want to hear. It. I don't want to hear. It. I don't want to hear." It. Want to hear it. It's like people unsaved walking by a street preacher. They hear what that man is saying, but they don't hear it. Why? Because their hearts. When they hear the call to repent, what did the writer of Hebrews say to the Hebrew Christians? The day that you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. But that's what people do. They hear it and they harden. I don't want to hear that. They don't say it out loud, but they say it within their hearts. And then Jesus said, Their eyes, according to Isaiah, their eyes they have closed. So when the heart is heavy, The ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. They resolve that they would not see the light that came into the world. That's what they resolve. They don't want to see the light, they don't want to see the truth. They close their windows, they draw their shades. You know why? Because they love darkness rather than light. Jesus said this in John 3 and 19. After God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son who shall believe and shall perish, but have everlasting life. People usually stop there. Listen to this verse 17 of John 3. Just in case you didn't know that verse existed, there is a John 3 and 17 and a John 3 and 18 in John 3 and 19. So this is what 17 says. This is after all the great John three sixteen thing. This is a great passage of scripture, but many people, including Christians, leave it, just take it out the total context and neglect what else Jesus said because they use that verse to say universally that everybody's going to be saved. But this is what Jesus said in verse 17. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. He didn't. But that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. Uh Uh-oh. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation of those who don't believe. This is why they are condemned. Why? Because... He says that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Those are the ones who are condemned, those who love darkness, those who love their sin, those who nurse their sin, those who excuse their sin, those who refuse to repent of their sins. Why? Because they love darkness. They love the darkness of sin, the misery. They love the misery of sin. Don't you know that sin brings misery? Any person that is in sin, Christian, don't think it any other way. They are miserable. And they mask it. With drugs, with sex outside of marriage, which is a violation of God's command, with pursuing fame and the acclaim of the world the praises of man on social media and out in public they try to assuage it by doing good things and good works to say that oh I'm a good person that's how they mask their dark misery that they're in by doing things to try to make themselves feel better and have other people feel better about them but when you're in darkness guess what darkness there's nothing but misery It brings misery. They are miserable people. Don't think they're not. Don't believe the social media posts. Oh, they're always smiling. They're always at the beach. (laughs) You know, they got the big house around the lake. But they're in darkness. Why? Because they have rejected the light of the gospel. Anybody who rejects the light. They have the eyes. But they shut their eyes, they shut the windows, they close the blinds to the truth. The saddest condition. Ian Campbell said this, and this is this should lead us to pray for those who reject Christ and unsaved family members and friends and co workers. Ian Campbell said the saddest condition a man can be in on this side of hell is to sit under the liveliest ordinances ordinances you know church service worship and all those things with a dead stupid untouched heart to hear God's word And to see his providences, you know, seeing God at work in their life, and yet not to understand and perceive his will, either in the one or in the other, is the greatest sin and the greatest judgment that can be. That's true. That's the greatest sin. That's going to be the greatest judgment those who hear the gospel, those who know. They know it. But they still reject it. They see the goodness of God in their life. They see how God has been with them even when they rejected him. They still have to say, God, you were there. Although they deny this God. God that has given them all this wealth, this this earthly wealth which is nothing but his general goodness has been with them his common grace has shined on them spared them for many a peril in life and yet they do not understand and perceive his will this is a damnable judgment on those who harden their hearts to the gospel message and churches, unfortunately, are full of these type of people. Our churches are full of people who have hardened their hearts to the gospel. They sit up and here preaching every Sunday and they are untouched. Their hearts are untouched. There's no conviction of sin, no self-examination, of their life. When a person is in that state. Their hearts have been hardened. And that's not a good place to be. So an application here. Let's land this plane. Number one. Not all our gospel labor has a positive effect. We must understand it as believers. Like Jesus. We don't give up Because of the unfruitfulness of our efforts. Jesus, after the rejection of Christ in Matthew 12, Christ could have just turned the other way. He could have turned the other way. But what did he do instead? He still preached. We must not think, well, first of all, we must know our, not all of it is going to have a positive effect. People that we Share the gospel with people that we proclaim the truth to. How dare we speak the truth? Well, guess what? Still do it. It's not going to always have a positive effect, but should that stop us from sharing it? No. Never let that stop us. Don't let people try to shame you into rejecting your Christian faith and what you know is true. Don't let them do it. Number two, the effectiveness of our gospel witness might not be immediately apparent we think about this parable right here at the end of a hard day sowing the sower had very little to show for his labor but the faithful gospel preacher like Jesus himself does not place his confidence on signs of immediate success but they place their promise that seed time and harvest would never fail that's Genesis 8 and 22 Seed, time, and harvest will never fail. The earth will always produce. The gospel will always produce. The sower sows in faith, believing that what he does will have a consequence in the future and not in the immediate present. When preachers preach, they're preaching, they're sowing in faith that the gospel will take root. there's a certain faithfulness about it in hearing it and there's a certain faithfulness about it that, uh, I mean, in uh, preaching it. Principle number three, we gotta understand this, I'm sorry, application number three. Opposition to the gospel is to be expected, especially in the culture in which we live. Remember, some can hear it and reject it immediately. Others hear it and receive it with great emotion. We're going to see that in explanation next week. Others embrace it, but they're distracted by the world. But expect opposition. When we present gospel issues in our day, expect opposition. You know, I was telling, uh, friend, and I had put this on Twitter uh, earlier this, uh, I guess last week, today is Sunday, that one thing I've noticed just as an observation, you know, with the response and the reaction to the overturning of Roe versus Wade is <laughs> I see where some people that I call so, uh, the, the, the my so-called friends stand on the sanctity of human life in the womb is exposed a lot of people lot of friends that we have people that we call friends a lot of people uh, uh, profess Christians it exposed the ugliness of those who are for the murdering of babies in the womb there's going to be opposition abortion is a gospel issue because it's a theological issue Because that baby in the womb is a person. That baby in the womb is the image bearer of God. From conception. From the moment the egg is fertilized, that baby is a person. And if a a Christian doesn't believe that, that's not Christian. Because the secular world, first of all, says that that baby is a clump of cells and you're a clump of cells as you live now. You're just a fizzing ball of matter. That's what the secular world you teaches. We don't, we don't come from a sovereign creator. You're just a fizzing ball of chemicals and when you die, you just go to nothing. There's nothing beyond this life. You just go away, not even to the great beyond. You just go away. You just cease to exist. That's what the secular world of you teaches. That... Your life doesn't have value if you have uh, cerebral palsy or if you have Down syndrome or you have any other type of uh, intellectual disability. They don't, they don't place great value on your life. They think if you're, if you're pregnant with a child, when they do the amniocentesis, it shows that the child has an extra chromosome and has Down syndrome that, hey, that baby's worth the because you're going to have to care for that baby your whole life. So that baby has no, no worth of value to society. That's what they believe. It is a theological issue. Because God himself said, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The fact that there are only two sexes is a theological issue. Because there are only two, male and female. That's a theological issue. Why? Because God himself said it. And Jesus himself affirmed it. In Matthew 19. We. Must expect opposition. When we proclaim the gospel. But proclaim it anyway. Because you're standing on the only truth that matters. And that is the truth of God. As is found in his word. This is your foundation Christian. This Word of God. And we have to stand on this with our heels dug in, no matter what opposition comes up against us. And we cannot compromise, not for one moment. Because I've said this before, and those who've been at this church long enough know, once you compromise on one thing, it's it. That's it. It's over. Everything else is going to fall apart. It's like that Jenga Game. You, you, you pull one out and the whole tower just just falls. When you compromise one ounce, you might as well give up the whole boat. You might as well give, give it all up. That's how apostate churches uh, come along. Apostate denominations, they, they compromise on women preaching, they compromise on, on marriage. And now look at them they're allowing cross dressing men to, to be pastors. And cross dressing women to be pastors. But where did it start? It started with denying the authority of Scripture, the authority of God's Word. And you start compromising on one theological thing, and then next thing you know, it's another one, and then another one, and then another one, and then next thing you know, you're an apostate denomination. Expect opposition, but stick with the truth no matter what. Don't let them cause you to cower down. Because you know what? One thing about it, this is not in my notes, but I'm going to say this because it's true. They would never compromise. The left, the secularists, they don't compromise what they believe. They're going whole hog. They're going all the way. They never compromise, but they ask Christians to compromise to be compassionate they never compromise on anything they never compromise but why should we? We have the truth we know God, we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one that's first John 5. We cannot compromise, friends. And lastly, in that vein, only God through the Holy Spirit can open, open eyes, hearts, and ears to hear the gospel truth. We must pray earnestly for God to do that in the hearts of those who reject his call. To those in this world who rejected God. We must pray that as they hear the truth, whether it's through social media, all the different ways in which the gospel is disseminated, that as they hear the truth, that God opens their heart, opens their ears, and opens their eyes to see his truth. Because they're lost. They are. They're confused because they're worshiping the false God. They're worshiping the God of self. Self is their God. They're worshiping the God of self, and guess what? It's not working. It's not helping. It's not doing what it's supposed to. Why? Because the idols of this world are foolish. They can't help. Their gods are failing them. So we are to expose that truth to them and pray that God opens their eyes, ears, and heart. Amen. thank you for your patience. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father I pray as I prayed earlier I pray Lord that we pray as we evangelize that we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit if we want true faithfulness and fruitfulness and not a decision we want fruit not results we want fruit it has to come from you working through the Spirit Lord only you can give a person ears to hear Father, I pray this morning that we respond to the message of the gospel as it comes to us, that we don't reject the message of the gospel because, Lord, if we do, we reject it to our damnation. Lord, Satan tries to oppose the message. He comes in with lies and he seeks to steal away the gospel message. Father, I pray that you may rebuke Satan for our sake. I pray, Father, that those of us who hear this message either now or on the podcast, that if there are any unbelievers among them, that you open their eyes, that you open their ears, that you open their hearts to receive the gospel truth. And Lord, may our hearts receive your word. And Lord, we pray for our friends, family members, co-workers, others in our circles who are unbelievers that as we proclaim your truth to them Father that you through your spirit may illuminate that truth to them that they may be saved just as you saved us in Christ's name I pray Amen Amen